Hello, and welcome to Water Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today it is Thursday, March 17th. My three favorite regulars are here. Hello. Good morning, too. Hi. Nick, so it seems like in the last week, a couple of things have happened. First, you've gotten a haircut, it looks like. You look great. Thank you. I had my Army Fun Time camp for three days. <laughs> for the listeners, um, Nick has what would be called, I'm not quite a crew cut, maybe like a long crew cut. It's very but, high, and t- high and tight, maybe. No. Well, can you see my gray hair? It just makes my gray hair more visible. That's kind of hot, though. That's like salt and no, peppery or whatever. No. I think it really Only accentuates you have a your chin. You got a real strong chin right now. Wait, you could grow a mustache. Oh, you would. Your chin would work well for like a barbell style thing. No, it's my chin's fatter and more pronounced as I get older. It's bad. You also seem to have um, flip flopped on your no fly zone stance. Is that because Obama came out against a no fly zone? You seem Partly. to be a contrarian. Okay, Partly. right. I think that's that generally the... the reason most Republicans are for anything is that Obama's against it, right? No, uh, that's not why. I think well, that twelve um, years later. I think I think the situation on the ground has dramatically uh, has 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 become dire and dire from a civilian perspective. I think the Russian military is proving itself to be more vulnerable, and I think it would save save lives if we did do this, and it would be in our strategic interest. I think that it wouldn't be necessarily a conventional one, but it would be a, a no fly an effective no fly zone. And I think that um, at this point, those that are calling that are essentially saying no, we shouldn't do this, are, are I think have been consistently wrong on Russia policy, Syria policy, and other regional issues so right, but the people that have, are calling for it have been wrong on vietnam iraq afghanistan policy for the last well, i think the people years, so. a lot of people who are calling for it including general breedlove who is the former european command commander ucom and and sacker commander you know essentially the, the the chief u.s military person in europe in the 2010s has called for it and he's an air force general so i trust his judgment over the judgment of others I who have no no knowledge of suppression of enemy air defenses or right. air superiority technical technical aspects of the no fly zone so i trust i trust the experts trust well let me science. tell you an expert it's st patrick's day and um america i guess is joe biden catholic is the second catholic president but our first Catholic president, JFK, who was a big Boston St. Patrick's Day person, had a very important saying during the Cuban Missile Crisis is you have to let the other side have a graceful way to back down. And I think that us doing a no-fly zone is not encouraging a graceful way for Vladimir to back down. And it seems like things are not going so well for Vladimir. I, so I will tell you this. But I he does have nuclear weapons. If you want an af- off-ramp, I think we could have offered him an off-ramp three weeks ago. I think any negotiated peace, for example, the proposal I saw was Austria. the Russians, I like that. The Austria Russians proposal. wanted a demilitarized Ukraine that would never join NATO. We moved off of that. I think that is not a fees- That is not a plausibility at this point. Agreed. Due to so wait, what was the Austria what, what composed the Austria, Austria compromise? Right. The Austria plan, which is where the consensus is going towards, is a militarized neutrality. You're allowed to have an army and a military, but you will not join NATO, but you might join the EU. And that's fine. And be I mean, like, well, I, hell, I support Austria or Sweden. Let me, let me tell you something. If I'm NATO, I would want Ukraine. Ukraine, the Ukrainian people single handedly stopped the second largest land army in the world with javelins, with their will to fight. I would want that army in NATO. 
I would rather have the Ukrainian military NATO than the German military NATO or the Italian military Okay, so NATO. one thing about the Obama's thing that does give me pause, just because of who Obama is, if he is that scared of a nuclear war and he's the fucking president and knows more about this than I ever would, that he, is he, the first time it gives me a little bit more pause. No, about what, you know, the capabilities are, how, like, what this would actually come down to. But no, even I don't, then, I actually, I actually think he, I don't think that's accurate. I think he had trouble with understanding the nuclear triad when he was president. I mean, I think that there, there are things that I, look, I'm not gonna, I don't mean to criticize, I don't mean to be partisan, it might be in my nature, but I, I do think he did not play, he did not have an effective Russia policy. And I think that's clear. We're seeing the effects of that. I think Trump made mistakes on Russia. And I think Biden, you know, I'm rooting for Biden to win on this. You know, I criticize him, I'm, but I'm, he did some good things. He did some bad things. He hesitated too much, but he did some good things. And I'm rooting, I, the politics stops at the water's edge, to quote Arthur Vandenberg. I am rooting for the Biden administration to succeed on Russia. I do um, think Obama is in an awkward position because of like a lot of, even from the left, the criticism of him was that he morphed from a, a less maybe like overt militarism to this really stealthy kill people by drone, do things under the cover of night, do things in really like sneaky ways. And I don't think that that has done great things for America. Okay, so one other thing that happened this week is Biden declared Putin a war criminal. And just to go through this quickly, that basically means nothing because America is not a party to the ICC. And this is something that I've always wanted to talk about on the podcast. And I've like, tried to wrap my brain around before. And it seems like this is the perfect time to deal with these hypocritical problems that our country goes through. Like we are the not problem a with the ICC. The I'll stop you there is that the ICC is targeted. Would it investigate people like Dick Cheney for being a war criminal because or Henry he is. Kissinger. Yep. Also or, war criminal or uh, oh, George R R W. Bush, probably uh, a war criminal too. Why didn't, why didn't the ICC go after its own judge, Balthazar Garzon, who's being funded by the Russians, if I recall. See, so why don't we, why isn't this an opportunity to clean all of this up? I agree. Because the ICC so, is structurally flawed. The ICC is, has a couple of radical lunatic judges who want to go after U.S. Per military personnel. So why so would we why adhere to an organization okay, that's so here's This is my idea. This is my other fun ideation I have during the week. This other story about um, this guy, Omar el-Baluchi, who the CIA tortured in Afghanistan. And it was just released that they gave him brain damage for like using him as a dummy for torture tactics over like a year-long period. Did, examples like this, or that guy Gallagher, who's obviously a war criminal that Trump pardoned, or like the Abu Ghraib stuff. Why don't we take one of these like, clearly obvious war crimes, use that in the court to gain a legitimacy for ourselves so we stop looking like hypocrites, oh. and then we have more sway. Like, what, so, Eddie Gallagher, that, that's true that there was some malfeasance in that case, but, I mean, the Navy was prosecuting him, not persecuting him, prosecuting him justly for, his, for him killing an ISIS detainee. I mean, the system was working until, you know, there was a presidential pardon. That sort of similarly happened with William Calley, who was committed the My Lai Massacre. That being said, like, the military has a very effective judicial system. William Calley was put on trial. The whistle, like... Well, yeah, but we're trying to now legislate another crime in an international court where we have no standing. So I, like, just, I think that's naive to think that we'll get... Putin on trial in The Hague. I mean, I think this will either he'll be deposed by a palace coup or he'll. I'm just saying then if that's the case, it seems dumb for Biden to even label him a war criminal because it just gives people obvious 
points to be like, that's pretty hypocritical, man. And that's already rumbling around the world. No, like, I think that this is just argument about moral equivalence. Like we're comparing us to the Russians or comparing us to the Chinese or comparing us to the Taliban or comparing us to ISIS. I mean, yeah, we make mistakes. We are not in their same category. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no... There's really just no, try, but no then indicators we try to use, for that. But then we try to use a court that we don't allow. It's just the like hypocrisy is so is so stark. It it feels like we're starting to look ridiculous. And all right, this is the other thing that's crazy is that it keeps getting worse. How much it seems like the Chinese and the Russians are coming together. So like for instance, all right, let's turn this to this whole bond situation. So Dan, explain to us how the fuck. All right, so Russian bonds are potentially going to default soon, but they're allowing them to repay them, but potentially in rubles, which are going to be devalued so much that the bond will basically default. Am I getting that correctly? It's very confusing. I'm not 100% sure. So why don't you talk about your explanation, and I will tell you what are true or false real statements. It's uh, But that's what I just tried to say. It's a little bit... So wait, so how would that even functionally work? So, for instance, right now... All right, here's another example. The Ukraine has something like $50 billion in debt repayments this year that are selling at 25 cents on the dollar, which means that they are extremely risky investments, correct? Yes. And so... People think that they're going to default. And, all, not, you know. and over time, people are probably going to be moving more money into American dollars, devaluing these other currencies against it. So isn't over Maybe. time like all of this, like how does this, it makes no sense in my brain how people even see any of this being re- repaid back or how does this even work? We're sending money to them on one hand and taking it back in bond repayments on the other hand, like I just don't get it. Right. So, yeah. So I think like we're kind of in like, I would say like the chaos time. So it's always hard to disentangle like you need to kind of disentangle like short term versus long term like there's for like russian debt right like we're probably we've kind of shut them off from the west so that if you held like a russian government bond you're probably not getting your money back like you can try like some people like argentina or venezuela have said all right i'm their country's under sanctions so i literally can't sell this because the bank can't process the transaction of me selling the government bond from Russia that I hold. So I'm just going to hold this kind of hope that 30 years from now, the world's in a better place and like Russia, we're trading with Russia and I'm going to sue them in international courts to try and like recoup this money. And this is like what hedge funds do with Argentina. Like Argentina went default and we kind of just like held all these people have had these bonds forever. And they're like, all right, Argentina, if you want to, if you have any asset that's outside of Argentina, we're just going to try to have it seized to repay these debts. So like if Russia had, I don't know, like a state-owned fuel tanker or something like that that like docked in New York City, they'd be like, oh, we're seizing the ship as like repayment for these bonds. So there's like the long, long-term game, which is where we're kind of at for some of the Russian stuff. For Ukraine, it's more like it's going to go one of two ways. Like we don't want to necessarily, like if Russia's going to take over, we don't want to forgive the debt. We want to kind of like, force it onto Russia or some of that, or have an excuse to maybe seize Ukrainian assets abroad so that they go to like Ukrainian bondholders as opposed to the Russian state. So I feel like there's like part of that's at play of why we don't want to just like wipe away their debts. It's kind of like, let's see what happens. And then there'll be like, a, oh yeah, Ukraine had $20 billion of gold reserves at the Fed in New York City. Great, we're using that to repay their debt. So Russia can't say that th- that gold is theirs. That, that is sense. so complicated. Yes, kind of. But it also seems, seems co- very convoluted. And it, it also seems right. like the making for... Emerging uh, market debt is only for the 
like very not faint of heart. Like it's a little dangerous. Like right now, I think it was like the one a Kentucky pension fund was one of the largest holders of like a Russian bond, Russian bank debt, and they're like might lose five hundred million dollars because that's like all that bank debt's now worth zero. And they were like, well, it was a good investment because we were earning eight percent interest versus five percent interest. And it's like, yes, you get eight percent interest because there's a chance it goes to zero. And you need to remember that higher returns are usually because you're taking more risk. So are you worried that all this economic warfare will lead to like competing economic systems right now? Though, doesn't the U.S. dollar process like over 50 percent of world transactions? That's a pretty yep. special place to be. I mean, I think like we're moving that way. I don't know. There's you need there's not a great alternative, right? Like the alternatives would be you can do it in euros. People, I think, were maybe more worried about that because the Europeans have can be a little eccentric sometimes with their like regulations and rules you could do it in like japanese won bitcoin but the crypto would be the other thing but crypto it's like still not like commercialized to the sense that you could use it for transactions so i think like that's the real off-ramp that could maybe like really change things but if anything it's just like a splintering that like china increasingly uses won and then there's a world in which like China and the Middle East do some energy deals and that could like make that like the secondary player be Chinese one. But but the dollar, there's like no real huge alternative. And the U.S. like for its many faults, we're not going to like nationalize industries anytime soon. So we're like steal your money, even for Russia. It's like only what, 30 oligarchs maybe that we're actually like freezing assets to. So for the other 100 million Russians, like if you had dollars in a U.S. bank account, like they're fine. And do you think... I'm I'm hearing a lot of backlash on freezing just the commercial banks in Russia, those transactions that a lot of just normal Russians that live in another country or even live in the U.S. can't access their money, just professionals. Right. Well, I think it goes back to like, do you support siege tactics, like military siege? Like we used to do that, right? Like people would starve out cities as a way to force the government to surrender. And we're trying to do like an economic siege of Russia to force the government to stop doing what they're doing. No, like we, it, it's quite simple. It's quite simple. I mean, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's quite simple. Quite I think simple. The, the deal is to really dry up as much revenue coming into the Russian state as possible. Taxes well, or whatever. Two, but the ideal, the ideal we've, is- We've gone way beyond that, be where we're trying to like, we've gone way beyond that to where we're making Russian daily life drastically different, right? You can't use, like if you had a visa-based like debit card, you can't walk down the street and buy something in a bookstore in Russia because your visa card doesn't work anymore. You have to have a card that's based on their like internal payment rails. So there's like, oh, I go and I like work at McDonald's or Starbucks in Russia. Like that job is gone, right? Like we're kind of at a different level. Didn't Russia seize all the McDonald's? Aren't those now like Orthodox churches? Or yeah, something? they're they're creating knockoff McDonald's. But I, I I don't have any qualms about doing this. I think that unfortunately, I feel bad for the Russian people but this isn't our fault. This isn't NATO's fault. This is the fault of their government. And these are right. repercussions and they're, that right. come they're from like invading a sovereign country. Warfare tactics. You could like bomb civilians. Everyone says that's pretty much not okay, right? Like we would probably shouldn't do that. You can like starve civilians and like cut off food lines, things like that. Or you can like try to break their economic way of life. And economic way of life seems to be the less of those three. And so we don't do like modern, like I think we're not going to, try to like burn their wheat supplies going into Russia because we don't want people there to be a famine, but we're fine with economic. The goal of the, these sanctions aren't to 
necessarily directly punish the Russian people, which that's what's essentially well, happening. Well, I mean, but I the kinda, goal, the we've goal, gone the to the realm of, these sanctions, of sanctions. That that's they happening. have one specific goal, which is dry up revenue coming into the Russian government. The Russian government is a problem. Um, and uh, we should do everything within our means to dry up their revenue. I think the Russian people will suffer less if we apply maximum pressure than if we have these weak, kneecapped sanctions. I think if we impose maximum pressure now, it increases the likelihood of the collapse of the Putin regime, and that will alleviate their suffering in the long term. I think if we do these like half measures, Putin will survive and grab, keep grabbing onto power, keep holding on, and that will increase their suffering. So I think if we go hard now, I think that it long term will alleviate the suffering of the Russian people and the Ukrainian you know, people. And you know, it was another really strange, Europe. very modern in a very modern way this week a very strange moment was when Zelensky gave his address and they the translator was a woman so his voice was a female's voice the entire time it felt like one of those uh you know those videos where they like dub over NFL players that are saying different words and he was saying very serious stuff I mean that video was just like fucking out I I could barely get through it Jesus it is really tough times over there and then every day you hear I mean even worse stuff I think that his round robin of all the different congresses is going to change something he seems to totally understand how to play this modern political game he's really savvy even though he's not like a traditional politician yeah i mean i i'm optimistic but i i think ukraine will pay a heavy price in human life i think the, the russians russian military doctrine is when they get desperate they level cities i mean they they did this in germany World War II. I mean, you know, rightfully so. That's what they. That's in their. They're justified in doing that, from my perspective, in World War II. But that's doctrinally since then is to level cities. That's what they did in Aleppo in in the 2010s, and that's what they did in in Grozny in the late 1990s in the Second Chechen War. They will they will have no qualms about killing civilians, and they will do so en masse. And I think if we if we we need to end this as soon as possible. And I think that applies. We need an all of the above strategy, including, you know, uh, I would call it a no-fly zone with plausible deniability, as in we can put a Ukrainian Air Force roundel on something and, and have it flown and, and shoot down a Russian aircraft. I have no, no qualms about that either. You know, happy to give them Reaper drones, Predator drones. Those switchblade um, drones seem really insane. Yeah, those, those are, are those are those will be effective. They also cost, I mean, they like, should have been given months ago. They said they cost six hundred dollars, and I was like, that is a scary, scary thing. Oh my god, that is really scary. That is really frightening. Jesus Christ! Hopefully, you can't just buy those as a as a regular person. I hope, unless you're like part of Hezbollah. All right, so Ben, how's it going over in Portugal? Is this Omicron wave coming? Uh, well, it it has been like ridiculously dusty over the last two days. It was very unpleasant. Oh right, that's like, Sahara. The Sahara wind or whatever. Sahara, yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't hit us too, too badly because there's always so much wind coming in off of the coast, but like parts of Spain were hammered. So yeah, everything is pink here now. Fucking That's kind of cool. Take some pictures. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. I'll find some. <laughs> Anyways, Omicron. Yeah, probably. Like COVID is going back up in parts of the world that predate the U.S. and have done for the last couple of years now. It seems like yeah, China not... seems like it's zero COVID policy, really. Yeah, back in Not place. The best idea. So just you know, it's hard to keep this one out. So is it just more transmissible, or do we do, you not, do we not know really at this time? Is it more it virulent? To, right, we don't really have any details yet. It's like it seems to be more transmissible, not more virulent, but current vaccines still remain effective. 
So it's still considered a variant of Omicron. It's not like distinct enough to have its own letter of the Greek alphabet. Got it. All right. So let's run through the grab bag. Come on. F1, Ben. What do we need to know? F1. Well, the first Grand Prix is this weekend. All the teams have finally had to like reveal their cars at testing last weekend. It's in Bahrain. Right now, basically, Red Bull seem like they have the best car by a significant margin at least based on the preseason tests, but historically Mercedes have always sandbagged testing and they're trying to downplay it again. But based on the way the cars have performed, they're like third best at best. How does Ferrari look? Ferrari looks good second, but still behind Red Bull at this point. Really? They're again, testing like, better than Mercedes? They definitely had a much better test than Mercedes. Like And Red Bull was was further better. Is there any fun like driver drama? How is George Russell? George Russell? No drama yet, really. Um, after Mazepin's been kicked out. But it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic because basically Mercedes have always prioritized Hamilton over Bottas. Like they've had a clear first and second driver. And a lot of this is based on how much better Hamilton is in qualifying than Bottas. But Russell's strength has always been in qualifying beyond racing. So if he's able to get close to or in front of Hamilton in qualifying, then Mercedes are going to have kind of a dilemma on their hands. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. So wait, was Mazepin sanctioned? What happened? How was this? Yes. His father got sanctioned, and then he also got sanctioned by the EU and the UK. But this was after he'd been kicked out already. Basically, like, A, he was terrible. Like, he finished 21st out of 20 drivers. Like, literally, he finished 21st because there was one substitute driver who did better than him. So he finished <laughs> 21st. The... F- fucking drive to survive episode about him was hilarious where they're like his redemption story was that he recognized some clouds coming in and he quote finished 18th but it was two drivers had crashed so he still finished last by two he got lapped twice he seems yeah like not uh, almost historically bad he's like historically bad driver and he was a dickhead and uh yeah so once the money wasn't there there's no reason to keep him and he was justifiably kicked out got it so he's gonna win this weekend i think verstappen i mean we'll know more like tomorrow is the first practice, so they do practice, two practice sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then there's practice three in the morning on Saturday, and then qualifying is Saturday afternoon, so we'll see. Do we think daylight savings is going to happen? And does that mean, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, if if there's no more daylight savings, does that mean it's going to get really dark really early in the winter, or it's going to get dark later in the winter, and it's going to get it's going to get always light, dark late. later. We're sacrificing morning time. It'll be dark in the morning for longer. So it's going to be dark later in the winter than it normally is. Right. Like it'll so be 8 a.m. Gonna... in the winter and it'll be pitch black. Got it. That's yeah. OK, got it. I was thinking about it the other direction. OK. Can I provide an update on uh, Brittany? Uh, yeah, Brittany Griner. She's going to be in prison until May. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, they've extended her her trial which is i mean it's a very russian tactic no rule of law there so i mean i would just uh, at this point she's a hostage i mean i don't have no faith in the russian judicial system and uh yeah i think it's dire i would do everything you can to to get her out you know i i don't think that the russians will physically harm her but russian russian detention is very brutal to begin with so i don't know it's, it's dire. And yeah, I think that they should do some sort of trade. And I also just saw a story about some guy from Minnesota was captured. He's just like some regular guy that went to marry a Ukrainian woman and nobody has heard from him in the last five days. 
So it seems yeah. like they now have another hostage that's like. There was a, a totally recent American asleep. citizen gunned down in Cherkiv City. Uh, it was waiting at a breadline, and he was recently gunned down by Russian military. So there's been, you know, they killed Pierre Chachevsky. Ch- I think he was a, a photojournalist with Fox News. Wounded. They killed a, a Ukrainian producer with the, with that crew. Ben Hall was injured. They killed uh, former New York Times photojournalist or producer, video producer. I, I, so far, they've killed two or three journal, American journalists and, and a lot of Ukrainian Yeah, in the bombings, yeah. This one felt really kind of creepier. It felt like World War II-ish because they took him off of a bus. People saw him being dragged off of a bus, so they know he's still alive. It's just kind of fucking scary. All right, what else? How about Chelsea, Ben? Any updates there? Do you think they're going to be bought by a guy who runs like something capital management? Which one? Ken I mean, Griffin. Oh no, I don't. I don't think so. I think the Ricketts bid and the Woody Johnson bid are are dead on arrival. Really? Like, I, Why? Yeah. Is there both because, evil people? Yeah. It's like a battle both... of evil. Like it's kind of some just like characters. Woody Johnson sucks. The Ricketts suck. And yeah. Ken Griffin. I mean, at least Ken Griffin's like truly more Bond villain esque since his divorce, but. Where he's just like buying two hundred million dollar houses and things like that. I oh, see. I don't know this. Keep going. I don't know any of this. Who is Ken Griffin? Who, who was he married Citadel, to? which is a huge investment firm. He right. decided at some point, like, okay, I have now. He had maybe like two to three billion dollars for a while, and then I think it jumped to like ten because he was just like his firm was doing a lot better, and maybe now it's a little higher. And he was like, fuck it. And so he bought the U Chicago Econ Department. So he gave them like $200 million, and now it's the Griffin School of Economics at UChicago. And then he bought a $200 million penthouse in New York, even though he doesn't live there. And then, I forget, he bought a copy of the original copy of the Constitution for like $75 million, and he's just been on a spree. And so, so wait, and he got divorced? Who was he married to, or who was he I married don't know. to I, now? I think he got like divorced, and he was just kind of like, well, what else am I going to do with my life? I'm a billionaire who's 60 and single. He should compare his rare collection with... Bill Gates. I always thought it was amazing that Bill Gates bought like Leonardo da Vinci's original notebooks. I mean, if I had billions of dollars, I guess I would do something like that. I don't know. Anyways, it seems like the way that this is going to go is that Abramovich is going to have input into who gets chosen. Really? That's kind yeah, of insane. But the government is the final say. So the government can also consider bids and, and bring them forward and they can veto anyone. So it seems, and it seems like Abramovich is being pretty deferential. He's letting it go for free. Like he's just walking away. So, I mean, which is, I feel like, like, I can't believe, is that real? Like he's like actually just like saying, I'm just giving the team away and I'm not yeah. taking any of the billions of dollars. Like where's that? I money mean, go? I think he doesn't have any good options considering what they're, you, there's a difference between, I don't know. No, I, I mean, guess. he's always talked about how, like, this I mean, is, I think it says is, a lot about for... how much he thought that money really probably belonged to him in the first place. <laughs> right, know? that's fair. It's probably he's just like, whatever, this was kind of fun. I owned them for 20 years, and now I'm on our next chapter of my life, I guess. Yeah, and he's never been focused on ROI for Chelsea. Like, it's never been his MO. Like, people have always said, oh, what's going to the club's going to go under when he sells and he calls in all of the stats. But he's always said he's, he's never really cared about that. Yeah, he's more um, an ROC guy. Return on championships, baby. Yeah. That's what he's all about. Return on trophies. So, yeah, I mean, I think still probably the most likely is the Todd Bowley consortium. Um, tomorrow is the deadline for bids to be submitted. So there's, like, more people coming out of the woodwork every day. But it seems like it'll probably be either Todd Bowley or that Saudi media group. I think that is also equally likely. And 
both are extremely distasteful, but I suppose <laughs> that's, that's kind of always been the case. Oh, man, so. you got to love it. Jesus Nick, are Christ. you changing a diaper? No, no, I was fixing uh, a uh, two of Ellie's uh, sunglasses, my little eyeglass repair kit. I love how you're always multitasking on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, and he's got a mask on. Um, what other fun topics? Steph Curry got hurt last night. That was very sad. Hopefully he might be out. He's out, it seems like, through to the playoffs and maybe longer. So now we have <laughs> the top two, two of the top three teams in the West are looking vulnerable. So maybe LeBron, if they actually do make the eight, the like eight or seven seed, like there's a chance they win because Chris Paul or Curry no, are out. Right. Should be. The Lakers no, are no so bad. Way. It's no hilarious to watch way. how bad the Lakers are. It's truly, it doesn't even look like the NBA sometimes. I don't think they're getting out of the play. And some of the shit talk between from the Timberwolves was absolutely hilarious. That was funny. Yeah, the Pat Bev. That was the first time in my whole life I felt bad for Russell Westbrook. I always was like, this guy deserves this. And then finally I was like, no, this is too much, maybe. Let this guy <laughs> live a little bit. Jesus Christ. I mean, I might feel bad if he wasn't like the least self-aware NBA player ever like this dude he must be the most stubborn person in the entire fucking yeah he really is that's what always pissed me off earlier is like when he the thing that first i was like wow something is up with this guy was when he left okc and then made a rap video called like now i do what i want or no it was when kd left okc and like Mm -hmm. as a his like subtle way of saying to kd that he didn't care that he left was making a rap video called Now I Do What I Want. It was like, oh my god, that is the most tone-deaf thing I've ever seen. NBA, the NBA um, sort of like drama, and the it's just so interesting, the shit that goes down. and the Because it seems to go on for years, and people forgive each other. They go, it's like back and forth. It really is kind of like a reality TV show. The other leagues need to get into that. F1 clearly figured that out. That's clearly the wave of the future. They need to have like a drive to survive for the NBA. I completely. I was. I've been saying this for like Strive to Survive came out. Like, why the fuck isn't the NBA doing this? But also, yeah. I mean, the problem is like the issue with Drive to Survive became kind of clear this year when they were like still manufacturing drama for no reason. Like, I understand in the previous years when there's no title fight, but this was like literally the most dramatic season in the history of the sport. Like, I don't think it's ever. Been no, the case but don't that- you think that what was crazy about that is don't you think that Drive to Survive contributed to that drama that like toto was thrown off kind of by the constant christian horner like media needling it just seems like really that's always been there that's they've always done press conferences they've always like taken shots at each other it's just become more prominent i think horner has turned it up to 11 like he's definitely gone to another level of being that annoying troll. He really but, is know. awful. Oh, he's awful. <laughs> I think he's so funny. I think he's so fucking funny. I mean, I don't know. Firstly, I found like he's Mercedes, funny. He does say funny things, but I he, think Mercedes he's like just kind of obviously hypocrisy. blatantly awful. I mean, I I like found the whole like episode about Silverstone like so fucking distasteful from Mercedes, like so fucking low class, like way worse than anything Horner's ever done. Way worse than anything Verstappen did last season was okay. No spoilers though. No spoilers. Okay. Well. Something crazy happened at Silverstone, like, what? Six months ago. Six months ago. ago. <laughs> Ten months ago, so, yeah. sorry. <laughs> All right, what else? Anything else? Dan, have you started watching F1 yet? You got to get into that, Dan. Oh, that's I know, it's, like, on the list of things that I want to get into, but I'm, like, going to start watching a lot of NBA because it's the playoffs. So I feel like maybe it's a summer thing for me. Like, by next fall, I'll be up to speed, you know? Got it. You got to have goals. You got to have goals. That's what I just, I like to live my life and say, what is the goal for next quarter and next quarter? 
Q2, not going to get there, but Q3, we're looking up. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is the they're kind of distinct time slots. Like, it's a, it's a Sunday morning thing, at least in the U.S. For you. So, for me, it's a... No, no, no. It's Sunday, it's Sunday, after, it's Sunday mid-afternoon for Got me. It. Like, it's based around, like, GMT, usually being at 3 o'clock GMT. So. GMT. All right. Anything else, Nick? How are the glasses? Yeah, they're... Sorry, they're, there's a... We're getting a, a closet fixed downstairs in our basement. But, yeah, the glasses are fine. I don't know. Life's chaotic, as usual. I'm, a, I'm a, an adult stressful how was army camp it was good it was good uh learn there to... like secret trainings for ukraine invasion that you're gonna do or no. what? how does it work no i learned not to put water in the humvee fuel tank <laughs> let me tell you i actually think the reservist training on humvee tire care is something that uh oh yeah it's maybe be P- more focused pmcs yeah we're religious about it i mean it's annoying because yeah. every drill weekend you have to make sure these these like antiquated 1990s Humvees are in working order, but I mean, at least we don't have knockoff Chinese tires that explode and when they're deployed. I mean, we wouldn't deploy with the vehicles, but they're um, good army practice. logistics and maintenance, man. That's, that's what it's makes all an about. Army. It's the yep. unsexy stuff that makes an army. That's how you it's, win wars. Unsexy exactly. Stuff. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Tune in next week when we'll be taking a little bit of a different tactic by examining the pro-Russian attitudes from around the world. Stay safe. Talk to you then.